Welcome to the Review Podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Bree. And this is a podcast in which we review movies. And we didn't review this movie because it's a first viewing. This is a different experience. So usually this is a podcast in which we review movies. We watch a movie at least one of us has seen at least one time. And then we talk about it. We give some notes on it. We have our reactions to it. Things that we liked, we disliked, etc, etc. Special occasion... This is the first time we've done a movie in which neither of us have seen prior to this viewing. So this isn't so much of a review as it is just let's, a review. <laughs> let's, let's view. It's just a review, like or a re- review. Yeah. Like, yeah, review. Review. So I'm Anthony. We already said that. Oh shoot, we did. Didn't we? <laughs> oh, I'm getting my intro. Okay, Anthony, you everything. old man. We just did that, didn't we? Yeah, we just we just literally did that. Usually, I have that all set. I don't know what's uh... your brain has turned to mush because you talked to your friends too long on the Xbox. I did, I did. I was talking to the boys on the on the Xbox. We were watching Obi Wan together. We had a watch party. Oh, and I took a nice to shower, too. and with my incense going, and then I was almost late to therapy, and where my therapist just um, let me talk about feeling anxious about spending money on our wedding. It's like, yeah, it's getting expensive out here. <clears throat> Send Everything help. be getting expensive. Send help. Um, Send help, please. Help, help, help please. <laughs> uh, help, please. So we have. Um, I am drowning. There's <laughs> no signs of land. We have a. Uh, uh, and it, we have had an interesting week. I, I would say. Uh, I had a, a fairly okay week. It's been it's been mellow, honestly. Um, someone paid for my Duncan one day. Mm. Like the person in front of me paid for my Dunkin'. I got a sandwich. I got a sandwich, probably the best sandwich I've had in a while. Mm-hmm. And then a coffee, and he paid for it. So I paid for the person in back of me. I said, I said that guy's lucky that Bree didn't go overboard. But I did go overboard for mm-hmm. me at least. Well, it's just, I got it a been lar- a forty dollar. I know, but I got a large iced coffee and I got a sandwich, and that's like twelve bucks. And then I paid for the person in back of me to, you know, spread goodwill towards others and they only spent three dollars so i was like oh yeah i made out like a bandit but I, when i went up and the, they said the guy in front of you paid for your order i said oh why did he do that i have a free beverage reward Rut row. i was like oh you didn't need to do that i have a free beverage yeah. but now i have a free beverage in case i want to go get a beverage later what's your go-to my go-to is a large French vanilla iced coffee with cream. Mm, are you you're more Dunkin' than Starbucks? Yeah, because like I feel like with Starbucks, you have to like order these ridiculous names. You have to use Tall, Grande, Venti, Trenta. When I did do um, Starbucks, I would always get a Trenta. What's that? Is like a ginormous. It's like oh, it's like it's Mondo like, size. It's like you have your Tall, Grande. Mondo. You have your tall, grande, venti, and then trenta. So it's like bigger. And I would get it in like a vanilla coffee. Okay? Yeah. And I used to drink that um, in college on my way to therapy. Interesting. Interesting. Therapy has That's been... That's a large... The way you described it, a large drink. It is. It was like... How amped did you feel after... Have um, you finished one? Yes, I, fin- okay. I finished Oh, you finished it, all of them? Yeah. Um... I've had in therapy when in college, um, people made comments about it and they're like, Oh, that's a big coffee cup. They're like, What you get size? Jittery? They're like, What size is that? And I'm like, 
Oh, it's Trenta. It's the largest this size is the you can Mondo order. Burger. I was like, they only offer Trenta in certain drinks. They don't offer the Trenta size in like things that have shots of espresso because they're not going to give you a heart attack. Mm-hmm. But they do offer it in like regular coffee. Okay. All right. I, I've never heard of it before, so that's interesting to me. I don't, but I don't, I'm also like a newcomer to coffee drinking. I love coffee. Like I just started. I got into coffee like right before the pandemic started. And do you remember that day where, because I'm a freaking dumbass. You're like, I've never had a coffee before. I'm like a dumbass. And I didn't know how to use the coffee pot. And Brie didn't want to teach me. So you would just make coffee before like you went to the gym or you went out running when it was locked down or something. And remember when I drank the whole pot? I, I was like, oh, Anthony, you were like, I don't feel good. And I'm like, oh, Anthony, you're not supposed to drink the whole pot of coffee. I felt horrible. So there have been two days where I've gone overboard with coffee. That was one of them when I drank the whole pot. And the second was when I, God, it was earlier this year. I don't know what I did, but I I went to Dunkin' and I got some like something. And so I'm gonna throw this out here. He went to Dunkin'. He got a large iced coffee, like no large hot, hot coffee. coffee. And then he went to work, and he also had a coffee. So that was his oh, yeah. fault. I had two of them, and the equivalent of drinking I was a sitting pot of there, coffee. I was sitting there because I am a co-moderator for National Honor Society chapter at our at our high school, and I wasn't running the meeting, but it was a meeting for like potential new members. And so I was just sitting there for support for the other moderator, the head moderator. And I was sitting in the back and I was just sweating. And I felt like I had the flu. He's like, I got to take a Mondo <laughs> shit right now. I felt like I had the flu. I had to walk out of that meeting and just like take a walk around the school because I'm like, I can't just be sitting here. Like I'm sweating. I feel like everybody's looking at me and nobody was looking at me. But, um, those are the only two days I felt like I went really overboard with coffee and it had an adverse effect on my health for that morning. So I'm, I'm a relatively new coffee drinker. I haven't figured it all out yet. And I'm a veteran coffee drinker as my blood is coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, we saw Jurassic Park Dominions um, and we recorded that podcast, which will be coming out in the next few weeks as to not spoil the movie. So be prepared for that in about two weeks, two weeks from we're today. We're excited. It was good. Yeah. Um, well, spoil. I mean, it was okay, but we'll, you'll hear more about that later. Then the big thing for me this week was transitioning Kaido from puppy food to adult food, which has been not great he's been having the poops he's been having the mondo dukes um he took to it pretty well because i read online what you're supposed to do is give like for the first two days one fourth new food three fourths old food then day three to four half and half five and six three fourths new one fourth old and then by the end of the week they should be ready to go for 100 percent new kaido is not uh, moving as quickly as that. So I was like, you got to slow down. Like spend, mo spend more days on like the, he's like, no. And I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm like 100% sure if you Google it, that's what they'll say. It's just take more time. And I did Google it and that's what they said. So I'm so smart. I, um, he was doing good for the first two days. And then when we got to the half and half, that's when we started having some issues outside. 
Today, however, um, he's on day five total, day three of the half and half, and he is starting to get better. He was not great this morning, but after dinner today, he's a little bit better. So uh, pray, more pray, day. pray for Kai. One more day of the half and half, and then... One more... I think tomorrow will be the last day of the half and half. And, and then, then we'll, he'll be doing like the three... He'll be doing the three-fourths for, for a while. Uh so we'll keep you updated on Kaido's stats. He's, on his poop. It's been hot here uh, where we live, ambiguously where we live. And um, no, it's been, so it was like 100 and then it's been upper like 90s, upper 80s, but it's supposed to like cool down as in not be in the hundreds. Well, it's like we want to take Kaido out to go running because he has so much energy. But he can't run in he, the heat. He yeah. always goes to the shade and stops running. And it's like he wants, he has the energy to play. It's just, it's too hot. So the other day, Bree and I, it was like super hot. And we said, we're going to go get ice cream. And Kaido's been earning our trust a little bit more. We've been keeping him outside of his pen when we leave for like 20, 30 minutes, like while we go to the store. So I thought it's probably okay. We're going to be going to be gone for like 10 minutes as we run to the Dairy Queen. And we left him out of the pen and he was a little amped up when we left. Big mistake. Big Huge. mistake. Huge. Huge. Big mistake. So Kaido tore apart our drywall on one of our walls in a, in a corner. And we've been spending the last few days trying to fix that. And that's been that's been our week. Right now it looks pretty okay. I think we, we repaired it as best DIY as we can without being like knowledgeable about how to fix this stuff. But if you look really closely at our... Uh, you can tell, but you also, like, can't really tell. Right, so right. Like It's fine with us. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it. Eventually, you know, we're going to have to get that fixed in totality. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. It looked so bad. <laughs> it looked so bad. He tore apart that freaking drywall. It was bad. I was like, we probably shouldn't fix this until he's done with his chewing face. But I kind of had like a mental breakdown this yeah, week. Yeah, you were not And I was like, no, it needs to be fixed immediately. I cannot live with this. I like with everything going on with like the wedding, I've been like super stressed. So like little things have been like setting me over the edge. So Anthony's been, I'm like, I'm not a bridezilla. I'm not freaking about, a, about wedding stuff. Cause like come what may with the wedding stuff. I'm just like. I just want our house to be okay. I just want... Got a lot of house projects this yeah, summer. Yeah, it's just... It's it's a lot. It seems like once we have, like, one thing prepared to be fixed, another thing goes wrong type thing. Um, exactly. Yeah, so we've, we've had an interesting week, to say the least. And to cap off our week, Bree, are you ready to get into it? I'm ready to get into it. Have anything else you want to BS about? Not Want to get off your chest? Though. Sometimes we're just very honest on the pod. We're very honest. Do you feel like the podcast is like a place where you can spill your heart out? It's a place where I can talk about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I like that. So let's get down to the nitty gritty and let's get into what we're getting into today. We're about 12-ish minutes into the pod. So we had our BSing session and now we're ready to go for the main event of the evening. Brie, what movie did we watch? We watched Licorice Pizza by Ooh. Paul Thomas Anderson. Ooh, Paul Thomas Anderson's 2021 film, Licorice Pizza. T 
to cap off our Paul Thomas Anderson Starring director series. the entire Heim family. <laughs> all the Heims. All the Heims are in this movie. Every single one of them. Even the parents. Mom Heim, Dad Heim. <laughs> two sister Heims. The third sister Heim. So many Heims. Yeah. All the Heims. So to cap off our director series uh, for Paul Thomas Anderson, we have gone through Boogie Nights at the start of his career. His next movie is follow up to that Magnolia. We watched, according to Brie, we watched uh, a kind of halfway movie, Punch Drunk Love. And we're skipping around a little bit because he makes a couple movies that we've seen some of them together, Brie and I have, uh, but we also haven't. We watched, uh, we, we skipped, but we have seen There Will Be Blood about the oil prospectors and The Master with Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman about the cult. Are y'all part of the cult? So we skipped those, but we have seen those in the past. What we did skip to are the following two f- movies that he made. Uh, neither of us have seen before though, which is uh, his film starring Joaquin Phoenix, Inherent Vice, and uh, his film before Licorice Pizza starring Daniel Day-Lewis, The Phantom Thread which I'm probably going to get crucified by film nerds that have that love that movie. I saw the previews for that movie when it was like about to release and I thought it looked like the most boring shit in the world. So, I probably won't be watching The Phantom Thread for the sake of my own like attention, I guess. Like Brie, if you thought Magnolia was boring like fast. this thing look, I don't know what it's about really, but it the the trailers made it seem like so un Paul Thomas Anderson to me that when I saw the preview for Licorice Pizza, I was like, hey, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of returning back to the era of Boogie Nights and Magnolia and kind of uh, this, not that Magnolia is a fun movie, but having a movie that seems a bit more alive, that has more of a pulse to it. So I was excited for Licorice Pizza. We never got the opportunity to see it in theaters last year. And then it gets nominated for a bunch of awards. And we're like, hey, you know, Licorice Pizza might be something we want to check out. So when we started talking about the director's series that we wanted to do, I knew I wanted to end on Licorice Pizza because neither of us have seen it before and we've been wanting to watch it. So it's a nice way to kind of cap off that PTA director series. I agree. So... Let's get into it. Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza, uh, released in 2021, starring all the Himes, but most notably Elena Heim, the youngest of the Heim sisters, and uh, Cooper Hoffman, who is the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Along with that cast, we have in slight supporting roles... Oh, God, what's her name that plays the waitress and It's Always Sunny? I have no idea. Mary Elizabeth Ellis. I think that's her name. Um, and we also have Sean Penn for a little bit. And Bradley we have Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Who, can I make a note about Bradley Cooper's performance real quick? Sure. Paul Thomas Sanders. This is why I think this movie is kind of a return to form of early PTA. Because Paul Thomas Anderson had a knack in his early movies for casting, like, kind of big name actor like almost dramatic actors to play these outrageous roles do you remember in boogie nights like alfred molina he's in one scene but like he's uh, like he's a like, classically like, trained actor that is act like 
giving this performance of wild, outrageous, and kind of neurotic and crazy performance. I felt like Bradley Cooper was that was in that position in this movie. Yeah, very limited like time, but good use of Bradley Cooper. Great I use think. of Bradley Cooper. Just like I thought it was a great use of Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights. Um, overall, three general thoughts. I like this one. You like this one. I did like this one. So we've gone through four Paul Thomas Anderson movies and Brie has liked how many? One. One. <laughs> you like Paul. You like Punch Drunk Love. Mm. Eh. Mm. eh. How would you rank them? Licorice Pizza, Punch Drunk Love, Boogie Nights. Any other movie in the entire <laughs> universe. Magnolia. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I can't get her to like Magnolia for the life of me. So You don't even like Magnolia. Get I out of here. I personally don't like Magnolia that much. But like we said in the Magnolia podcast that you can check out in our previous episodes, there's a lot about it that I appreciate. Just as I get like this movie, I thought my general thoughts is I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as I've liked Boogie Nights and I liked Punch Drunk Love. Um, not that it's any worse or any better than those two, because there's a lot about this movie that is fantastic. But I also think I have some criticisms of this movie more so than I did Punch Drunk Love and Boogie Nights. So fair yeah like when we get down to it and we get down to discussing like the minutia of the movie like i don't want to come off as if i don't like the movie because i'm drawing some criticisms of it i i like the movie i i think that um so there's a there's a youtube channel called and i'm sure i've shown you some of these videos before brie maybe a youtube channel from a guy named tony Zhao. um he doesn't make these uh, videos anymore, but it's called Every Frame of Painting. And he's an editor or a former editor. And he created these videos that kind of talk about these nuanced looks at how to make movies or how to edit movies. And one of the reasons why I fell in love with the movie Drive was because of this YouTube channel that had pointed out a lot of things that I hadn't noticed about the movie before. And it made me appreciate more things about the movie as I watched them. So... He, in that video where he talks about drive and the quadrant system, he says at the very beginning, and I've always thought about this, and I've always, like, when I look at movies, I kind of always have this in the back of my head, which is sometimes you can just feel when a movie is alive, when it has a pulse, when there's it's, like, clinging on to something that is lit up, you know? You can feel the life of a movie. And there are a few movies where I've, like, sat there and legitimately said, like, I can feel that this movie is alive. Into the Spider-Verse was one of those, where I was like, this movie has a pulse. There's something special about it. I kind of felt that way about Licorice Pizza, too, when we watched. I was like, I don't, like, there's something about this movie where it just feels nice to watch. Like, you feel, it feels fun to watch, almost. And it's not like an action movie. It's not a Marvel movie. It's not Fast and the Furious, except for one scene. And <laughs> it's not big budget, but it has a pulse and it feels like everybody who made it was having a good time. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, it does feel like everyone had a good time when mm -hmm. they were making it. So my general thoughts, although I do have a lot of criticisms of some of the stuff in the movie, 
there is so much about it that I can appreciate and that I love just the, I guess, genuineness of licorice pizza. And Paul Thomas Anderson knew that he wanted to make this movie genuine as well. When he was casting for the movie, he wrote the movie with Elena Haim in mind because he said, you know, there are so many actresses that have kind of auditioned in the past for his roles, but not, nothing seemed as genuine as Elena Haim's acting that when he watched her, he felt as though she's just kind of living. She's just being very natural and very genuine. She's not trying to act. Did, what did you, do you think? I feel like I was watching two people interact and not watching there someone act with moments. each other. Yeah, there were a lot of moments because I'm sure there's there have been stuff in the past that we've talked about maybe with the Halloween movies where it's like these people are acting at each other or it was I think we were talking about Halloween Resurrection where even in like the the, the Jurassic World mm -hmm. movies like they're acting at each other yeah like well, you that's well that's because and we talk about this in the Jurassic World podcast Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard have zero chemistry oh yeah between them that's probably if I why. was Bryce Dallas Howard I wouldn't be able to be star opposite of the worst human being on this planet earth but i don't know if i'd go that far but um i just really i'm sure him. there are other there are plenty of other worse human beings i know but you know when two people act at each other and you're like you're watching a movie you're entertained people are interacting but you don't feel like this could be a real conversation that happens between two real people in real life exactly and i think i think it's the way that the actors also interact with the script that Paul Thomas Anderson wrote because he wrote the whole movie. And as I, I, I am going to point out the opening scene where Elena and um, Gary, Gary, when they meet and she's walking around with the mirror and it's maybe about a seven or eight minute scene. And it's seemingly one take where we're following these characters as they're having this introductory conversation but I wrote down in my notes, like, the conversation is so natural between these two people where it seems like if she was getting hit on in real life. That's how she would respond. That, that's how somebody would come up to her and kind of introduce themselves and try to gauge, you know, uh, or court, I should say, try to court this woman into going on a date, uh, even though, you know. There's an age difference. There's an age difference, um, and an age it's difference, very glaring. Anthony and I are educators, so the age difference in this movie made us uncomfortable. Yeah, and I... We and we've were, talked about we it, like, together. 15, 20 minutes into the movie, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get past this age difference thing, because Gary's character is 15, and, and Elena is 25. 28. She's 28? Yeah, you missed that part of the scene. What happened? Where she was someone did she, did where Bradley fumble? Cooper's character asked for her age and he said twenty eight and then she said twenty five. Oh I yeah, I must have missed that. So, so she is a liar. Yeah, so she's a lot she's older. Twenty eight years old. Holy moly. But I I think of that as listen, Bree and I, how old are we? Twenty five. Twenty six. Twenty six. Oh my god, I don't Brie. even know my own age. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. We're twenty six. 
we're about the same age as Elena in this movie. Could you imagine having a budding relationship with I a would 15 year old? Up. I would no, throw it's up. gross. It's throw gross up. and first grossly all, inappropriate. First of all, that's a baby. I was I I turned. That's you, like me having like a relationship with a high school, like one one of my students, where up. I'm like, this is dis- like to me that this is disgusting it's, because I'm a teacher and we we know how inappropriate those and you know like age differences the, are the, the developing brain. Like he's thinking, like he's in love, obviously fallen for her, but that's because older women are mysterious. They're blah blah blah, but it's on the adult to be like that's a child, that's a child. But then I was thinking about Elena's character in this whole thing, and I'm thinking, well, she's got to be going through some shit too as a character to be even entertaining this idea of having this relationship with a 15 year old boy. And I was completely okay because they did not even kiss, right? until the end of the movie and i was like they ruined he ruined it with that kiss because i'm like she had been swerving him the whole movie the whole movie the whole movie she's she's an adult she's like she's trying to not think of him that way she has said throughout the movie it's inappropriate it's illegal you're 15 i can't do this but she like slowly and progressively keeps pushing it forward where she shows up to the date then she shows him her breasts and it's like you could tell that i guess in the movie like she knew it was wrong but she wanted to do it anyway and i i guess that's like one of my criticisms is like this age difference because and it i didn't get past it i didn't get past it either and it it it, it feels more icky, too, for me, at least, that, like, the actor that plays Gary, probably when they filmed this movie, was, like, 18. I think they filmed in 2020. And he was, like, 17, 18 2019. Okay. Like, So he's young. Like, barely. He might have even been less than 18 years old. Mm-hmm. He, um, and she, uh, the youngest, Hein. But he, he had to have been 18 if they kissed. Okay. Because so, that would have been illegal okay <laughs> so 18 years old right and so that means elena heim was probably like 29 mm-hmm. how old's elena heim wait now? maybe she said 28 because maybe elena heim was 28 at when, the time of the at filming? the time of the film and maybe she flubbed and but they kept it in the movie i don't know but that does seem like a character thing with elena where she would lie about something like that yeah that's true especially to gary yeah so the age difference thing kind of pushes me away from this, from being fully attached to this. I mean, movie. it was a good movie. I this is the first PTA movie that I like, and I like I like the movie a lot. So I don't want to be too critical because it is the only. But I I mean I also I've said liked. I also said to Bree at one point I'm like, but here and this is like one of the reasons why I can't get past the age difference thing is because if you re- reverse the roles. If you have a 25-year-old man trying to court a 15-year-old high school girl, then that movie would never get made because that is, like, seen as worse than a 25-year-old woman doing that to a 15-year-old boy. I feel like they're... But it's, this, it's the same amount of inappropriate. They're equally disgusting. They're equally... Dis- well, we know because we're teachers. It's like we... You know, this is ingrained in our brains. This is 
equally as disgusting. And, you know, we work, especially me, I work with, you know, 14, 15 year old kids that it's like, if you even entertain that thought, like it's horribly inappropriate and disgusting. And whether you're a female teacher or a male teacher, that is a known, that's a huge, huge, huge no, no. And like, I don't even hang out with people who are younger than me. Well, and there's one point in the movie where Elena asked, asked like, her sister. She's like, weird that I hang out with all these people? She's like, I think it's, and Elena's like, I think it's weird. Yeah. She recognizes like what she's doing is weird. But I think that is a character thing. And a line, this is a good little segue into what are some of the major themes of the movie, which is maturity and immaturity and how people deal with growing up. Because I feel wanting like to grow up. Elena wants to grow up. She wants to, like, I she, think later in the movie she wants to grow up. I think she she I, tries really hard to grow up later in the movie. So here we. But have, I feel like she's always put in a place though that pushes her back down to immaturity. It's by hanging out with Gary and his friends well, no. that pushes her down to a place of immaturity. Well, no, I think it's um, the Congress, well, the future, the the mayoral candidate and his request of her at the end of the movie that pushes her back into that immaturity. She's made to feel worthless and who makes her feel like she is worth? Grown-ups. Yeah. <laughs> like adults. <laughs> <laughs> um, people her age. So... Let's talk about the characters because that we'll get into more of the conversation as we talk about these two main characters. So we have Gary Valentine, who is child star. He's not really a star. He kind of sucks at acting. He got one big breakout role. He got uh, what on the musical? Yeah, that no. he was, it's not really a breakout role, but he's had. He talks to Elena at the beginning, and he says he's an actor, and he has like. He's been in this like little thing, a little part here, a little part here, a little part here. He's trying to make it. You know, he's 15 years old. He's trying to get into acting. And he has a, a part in like a little musical, but he kind of biffs it by hitting the lead lady in the head with a pillow. And then he goes for um, like auditions and he's not that great, you know, and it doesn't really pan out for him. But Gary is keeps kind of hyping himself up throughout this movie as an entrepreneur you know he's starting businesses and he want like he he's trying to be advantageous of the trends of the time gary's a hustler gary is a hustler i looked at Bree during this movie and i was like He's not even like a good entrepreneur. He's a so, hustler. He's jumping from trend to trend and then jumping out when it's going to He He be. lays on a waterbed and he gets these people in his ear saying waterbeds are going to be the way of the future. And he's like, okay, I'm going to start a waterbed company. And then he overhears the congressman later when the waterbed stuff doesn't pan out. He hears the congressperson saying uh, pinball. pinball is going to be legal again in California. So then he's like, all right, let's start a pinball arcade. Things like that. He's not like a savvy businessman he's not like passionate about one thing it's what can i do to make the most money at the time rather than what can i do that i'm passionate about that i can also make money on it's, it has longevity to it that's long-standing so gary is uh quite charismatic and elena on the other hand 28 28 says she's 25 uh works initially as uh like taking uh working for a company that takes high school 
yearbook photos. But she later like jumps from thing to thing with Gary. She can't really hold down one thing. She doesn't know really what she wants out of her life. She's a bit directionless. And when she sees Gary, who's kind of this charismatic pseudo entrepreneur, she's like, I'm going to get involved with this water bed business with him when she sees that it's moderately successful. Um, and, you know, that kind of kicks off things. So she's a bit directionless. And I think that the way that their characters kind of run with one another is they're both at different places of where they want to be in their maturity levels. Whereas Gary is so obviously a character who is not content with being a 15-year-old boy. No, he. it always seems like he is trying to be something more. Like, he meets Elena, he tells his brother, I met the woman I'm going to marry. Like, like, you're 15, 15, years, 15 old. years old. You shouldn't you're, be thinking about marriage. You're 15 marriage. years old, and he's doing all these businesses, and he's 15. like, he's 15 years old. And at the very beginning, Alana's, like, not taking him seriously. She's like, you should be with someone your own age. Like, you're going to... Like, you're going to grow up. You're going to forget all about me. But, I mean, there's even, like, little things that are throughout the movie that give this notion of Gary loves acting older than he actually is. The way he talks to people and the way he, like, loves being a regular at this nice restaurant that he knows the owner by name and he can get this seat and he, like, brags about being able to get martinis and stuff. Elena, on the other hand, you know... I think that she's a character that is kind of stuck. <laughs> Kaido's right next to me and I got distracted. <laughs> um, she's a character that's kind of stuck, you know, in, in this part of her life as a 28-year-old woman. She lives at home with her two sisters and her parents. And she wants she wants to leave. She wants to make more of her life. She's struggling with adulthood. And like a, in a family that's kind of like really Jewish... Um, I wouldn't say like strictly Jewish, but they take it seriously. Like you know? they they pray, like they take they celebrate the holidays, and like it's expected that she be with someone who like is Jewish, is Jewish, or is willing to convert to Judaism. Yeah. Uh, so she's kind of struggling with adulthood. So when she meets Gary, I think this is a moment where she clings to her Cling, youth clings to immaturity and clings to being a in the world of a child whereas gary's like the opposite and gary wants to be more of an adult so he's doing more adult things he's trying to start businesses he's maybe he's getting involved with an older woman you know uh so where i think these characters kind of collide with each other is that theme of adulthood and maturity and struggling with growing up and wanting to be more. So it's an interesting kind of way that these characters intertwine their stories with one another. So Brie, where do we uh, where do we start off here? If we're um, going to go beat by beat. Well, we kind of covered a little where, bit of the beginning where they, conversation. Where they met. Um, that like we have they meet, they go to the dinner together. He kind of goes out to lunch with his mom he's he's gonna be on the show in new york mom has to go to vegas for business so we have elena goes as his chaperone what so mom is just like oh fine yeah that's that's what's insane to me too i told brie i was like the 70s are a weird time 
The 70s had to have been so loosey-goosey with right. all that stuff. Yeah, I would, yeah. And they're both flirting. Like, they're, like she's flirting, he's flirting. But then they're flirting with other people. So she's flirting with the, um, what's his name? Lance. Lance, another actor. Another actor. And um, he's flirting with the stewardess on the plane. And... Meanwhile, I want to um, go back because I did make a note about something that happens previously. Uh, what's his face? Gary mentions that he runs a public relations business too with his mom, right? With his mom. And Elena doesn't believe him because she's like, you're telling me you're an actor, you're doing public relations. And she's like, you got to be joking with me. And he's like, no, I'm not joking. To which I think this is the moment where she starts getting this idea in her head that if she hangs around with Gary, then she's going to like, that's her ticket out of living at home and things like that. So I, I went off on a tangent, but what I wanted to get at was the scene where Gary and his mom are working with uh, the guy running a Japanese restaurant. And this is where the criticism comes for the movie. Okay. Yeah. Go on. Um, you, you explain where this one. he's talking to his wife who presumably does not speak English, English, but he doesn't speak Japanese. No. And so he puts on a very offensive accent to talk and like in speaks English. slower in Sauce, English to her? Talks slower English in a, in a very racist accent. and Like stereotypical Asian accent. And I see that it is very offensive to like the like Asian people. Well, and this is why... I don't think that this entirely works is because Paul Thomas Anderson plays out this scene with as if it's supposed to be like a comedic scene. This this character who is saying this all these English things in this horribly racist Japanese accent like the joke here is that that's not how you communicate, right? The joke here is that that's racist and that's inappropriate and that's not how you communicate. But in 2022, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work because we're past that. Exactly. I think we're past that kind of humor where I had mentioned to Brie. Where, I was like, oh, ha ha, racism is so funny. If, if that joke would have been in a movie in 2006, it probably would have been funny at the time. But we've progressed a little bit more and we don't, in 2022, that's not a funny thing. We don't find that really funny anymore. So, I could tell, like, I don't think it was mean-spirited. I think it was supposed to be a joke on that guy being horribly racist. It wasn't a joke on Japanese people, but it still didn't land. Yeah, it right? didn't land. It came off offensive, and I could see exactly why people were upset at this movie for this particular... And it's not a joke that happens once. It comes it back. It comes back, yeah. And, it's, and it doesn't land even more poorly. And because they ask in in the second scene, because she talks back after he does the offensive slow talking in um, a stereotypical racist accent, and he's like, "Oh, I don't know what she said because I don't speak Japanese." Yeah, and it's like, oh, okay, like why are you marrying these women that you can't communicate with? But that's supposed to be part of the joke on that character. Bless you, bless you. But I think it's also a joke. It's a joke at the expense of Asian women. It could, yeah, and it very well could be. Um, uh, I can offensive. see, I can totally see how it can be in, taken like, that oh, way. Like, oh, these Asian women just want 
the to marry this white guy even though he can't communicate with them mm -hmm. just to you know yeah i can totally see that so it doesn't it, land it, it comes a, off as offensive it's a joke that just didn't work and it didn't work and i can see and i understand the outrage behind yeah. not liking this movie for that particular reason yeah I, it's in a little poor taste um so now that that's kind of addressed, we'll go back to where I was the talking. Table, we're back where you um, were. So she goes with him as his chaperone, and she's flirting heavily with Lance. And when we get back, it's she's like going on dates with this Lance fellow, and he she brings him to her home for a holiday. I don't remember what holiday it was, but the her dad asks him to Shabbos, um, Shabbos, yeah, yeah, and asks him to say a prayer. And he said, no, thank you. I'm atheist. And she kind of gets mad at him. But you're Jewish. And he's like, oh, yeah, but I don't practice. I'm atheist. And, like, she gets mad at him. She gets mad at her father. She's like, he could have finally taken me out of here. He's famous. He's an actor. And here's our first thing where, like, she's using people to get out. There's a lot of that in this movie. And this is why the age thing, I guess, I would... I can't get past it, but I can see how people would maybe be able to look past it. Is that every relationship that these characters have in this movie, whether it's with Gary and Elena or with Elena and some of the men that she dates or Gary and, you know, some of the women he talks to, everything is transactional relationship. And that that's what it seemed like to me. Everything was Elena is using people to get ahead or gary is using elena for you know purposes of like growing up for example it's all it's transactional even though the characters kiss at the end of the movie and she says i love you to him do we really think that these characters are going to last like honestly do we think that these characters are going to get married and live happily ever after he's 15 probably not he's 15 years because old. the relationship is based on transaction and it's based on how can we use each other to get ahead. And that's not what a relationship should be about. A relationship should be about how comfortable you are with each other, how much you love somebody genuinely. Right, Brie? Yeah. Oh, how cute. I love Anthony. And Aww. it's only because he has a juicy booty. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not going <laughs> to comment on that one. <laughs> <laughs> back to the film um so we get um so gary's he's already on to the waterbed he's like at like a little fair he auditions for this role for like a commercial and i have a little story okay um because i wanted to bring that up i have to imagine that this is the scene where he is auditioning for like maya rudolph um, and it's like a commercial, right? Like a Sears commercial or something. He's like, with the Sears suit, you can look like this or this or this. But he's kind of taking too long getting like his stuff ready and his acting isn't that great. And they, you know, Maya Rudolph gives a look like, mm, I don't think this is going to happen. I have to imagine that's how like kind of every audition is with like a struggling actor where they're very nice to you initially. But then they're like, mm, mm -mm, no, it's, it's not going to work. Um, I don't remember it super duper well. And he's going to plug when he auditioned. I, ad I auditioned for two things in my life. Well, three things. Um, the first was like a 
commercial for some it was like a something where they wanted me to do like a line test or like a, a re like run a line and it was like a commercial for like a uh some kind of like deodorant for feet and i had to say my dad's feet stink <laughs> <laughs> and i just say like they were like be enthusiastic you know be char- uh, charismatic so do my best whatever um then the second time I auditioned was for, um, it was something for the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street that was filming where we were. And I can't remember, they didn't like make me do much, but it was like another line test. But the one thing I do remember is I auditioned for a movie called Real Steel starring Hugh Jackman about it's like the live action rock'em sock'em robots movie and i auditioned for the role of i can't remember the kid's name the little kid in real steel um i obviously didn't make it past first round because i'm not that great of an actor but i remember the process and i can't remember what i had to read for it but um i took the day off school and everything um to to do it and or no maybe it was on a sunday but no, there was something that I remember I was at my grandma's house afterwards for. I don't know. It all kind of blurs together. But I remember I auditioned for that. And it did, like, kind of feel that way, too. Where it was like, they're very nice to you <laughs> when you're in the room. But I can imagine, like, the moment that I stepped out of that room. Like, it nah, was like, it sucked. Fuck. <laughs> so, needless to say, my acting career has not panned out. But... You know, we're all in a better place for it. And I'm sure that kid from Real Steel is doing just fine (laughs) and deserved uh, everything that he got out of that role. So a little little story there. Okay, so he's at this little market trying to sell his waterbeds. And then he gets like, like he runs into Elena. They have like a little, like a little talk and then all of a sudden he gets like pounced on by police officers and they arrest him and yank him out and she's like where is he going like they're not telling them anything nobody's saying no one's saying anything and so like she like runs after so the police just jump on gary and arrest him do not tell him what he's being arrested for shove him in the back of of a police car he does not know what he's being arrested for. And he says, I am not 16. I'll be, I'm 15, but I'm 16 in like a month. And the, all they tell him is, you're going to jail for murder, you dirtbag. <laughs> and, and I said, I, I, wrote I said, down, what year is this? Because the Miranda, like I'm a politics, I teach the AP politics course. One of the cases for the AP test that the kids got to know is Miranda v. Arizona, in which we establish Fifth and Sixth Amendment. Miranda rights have to be given. You have to tell people what they're being arrested for, and you have to tell them their Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights. So They did not do that. No, no none of these people did anything related to that. And I said, well, I think it's seven. the movie takes place in 73. I said, I think Miranda's in 76. And then I looked it up, and Miranda is 66. <laughs> so the Miranda rights were well in place by 73. These police did not do what they were supposed to do he could have sued if wow. he would have gotten like fully processed i mean i wrote what in the world were the police doing in the before times i know right like 
they just straight up detain this kid for murder and then they bring out like they sit him down they handcuff him to a bench and they bring out the guy who apparently like pointed out um or like identified and he's like that's not him he's like that's not him and nobody says anything but they bring the dude back they uncuff gary and then they leave without (laughs) telling him anything and i was like what kind of janky system is it that this is how you potentially identify somebody for murder? You pounce on them or arrest them, tell them they're going to jail for murder, and then bring them to the police station in which you handcuff them to a bench, then bring out your witness, and the guy says that's not him. <laughs> <laughs> like, what kind of weird system is this that they they do that? the 70s were a weird time if this is how this was handled no idea i have no idea about the 70s um hmm, what else do we got after that we they start their like their business oh yeah elena partners with him for the waterbed business and then she also goes in to like be an meet with his acting coach because again elena is directionless and she doesn't really know what she wants out of her life. She and doesn't I know what she wants to do. This to be interesting because she goes and meets with the the person, and it's like a an and agent. he's like, no matter what she says, you say yes to it. So she's saying, yes, I can horseback ride. Yes, I can play soccer. Yes, I can play baseball. And he's like, will you do? Will you be topless? And she says yes. And then uh, Gary's like, no. And like they, that's like their first kind of like fight he's like because they leave and he's like you're gonna show other people your boobs but you won't show me your boobs and it's like then she does end up showing him her breasts because i feel like he because he got so upset with her and it's like did she feel like she had to prove something to him i maybe like he wasn't gonna get over it where he was so mad at her because she would do topless acting but she wouldn't show him her boobs. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. I wrote that. I said inappropriate. Um, and then they're having like an opening party for their water bag company. And he kind of like makes it. I feel like if I was, if you were really into me and you went after this Sue, this other girl that came in, I'd be done. I don't know why. There's so many points in this time where I'm like, you know, they're both they both sabotage each other. Yeah, and- like he wants to be with Elena, but he sabotages himself by like pursuing the Sue person, thus making Elena feel like poo, um, and ditching her. And so she goes out with, she has this audition, and then goes out with this like old guy actor, right to piss like to piss not to piss him can, off, but can just- I can I rewind a little bit yeah. and go back to the interview that elena has with the agent yeah sure and i think this is really interesting because if we're gonna kind of tie this whole paul thomas anderson series up with a bow we should focus on some of his you know directorial choices and his style what we've established in the last like three episodes of our paul thomas anderson series is that He loves to stick with his characters. And this is a moment in which I think he does just that. Where he, even though, because I think, wasn't this the scene that you said, I think this is running a little too long. 
And there's one scene where you said, I think this is running a little too long. It was the scene, uh, the party scene when they opened the waterbed company. Oh, okay, okay. This is not the scene. But I thought that the scene with the agent was running a little too long. And this was my whole thing where I was thinking, he loves to stick with his characters. Because there were multiple parts in that sequence that I think would have been enough to establish what he wanted to establish that Elena's lying and she, the agent is kind of catching on to her, Mm -hmm. but he keeps moving with it and he keeps escalating it and escalating it and escalating it until we finally get the thing about Elena's breasts. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, uh, in, in terms of like the consistent style of Paul Thomas Anderson being played out from, all the way back to Boogie Nights to right now in 2022 with uh, Licorice Pizza. One of the other things that I I noticed a lot about this movie, and I think we both noticed it more towards the end of the film, is how much Paul Thomas Anderson loves to shoot these actors walking and running. They do so much running in this movie. Holy moly, they do so much running. There's, There's so much of him filming characters running from one place to another and running to each other. But I think that he does, he does that for a reason because I'm going to go back to something that, that George Lucas said when he was talking about the prequel trilogy, George Lucas was talking about, you know, kind of his story ideas and like how he formulates the stories overall for star wars and he said this is all poetry it's not going to look the same but everything is going to rhyme and everything has a has a reason to its rhyme or rhyme to its reason um and i think that paul thomas anderson does just that because every scene where the characters are running towards one another is kind of summed up at the end of the movie when they are actually running straight towards each other because we either have Elena running to uh, uh, Gary when he's in the cop car, Gary running to Elena when she falls off the motorcycle, but now we have this moment where they're finally both running towards one another. So I think that's one of the reasons why he loves to shoot them running running a lot is to get lead us to that moment. It's not going to look the same. It's poetry. It rhymes. It's supposed to look kind of similar. It's supposed to kind of lead to mm-hmm. what we ultimately want out of these characters. So after he gets with this Sue character, she goes on an audition and she's... She has a pretty good job. She has a pretty good job. Um, the lead actor on the project, he wants to take her out. She says yes. And to the restaurant that is Gary's go-to restaurant. So, of course, Gary walks in. And she knows that Gary's going to come in. And Gary's mad, like, obviously, um, at her. And that's when, like, the old actor guy runs into a friend. They want to do this this motorcycle trick. And she's on the back of the motorcycle. And he calls her Rainbow, right? Rainbow is the name of the character. Which is the name of the character. And she asks... From the audition. From the audition. And she asks him, do you even know my name? And she kind of lets go as he goes to go off. And she falls off the motorcycle. And that's when Gary runs towards her. Past the motorcycle, which is kind of a cool interaction. Yeah. Um, So... 
it's one of these things that Paul Thomas Anderson did in Punch Drunk Love, too, where once Sean Penn's character hops through, hops over the fire with the motorcycle, he crashes, the motor, he falls off the motorcycle, and everyone's, like, all worried about him, and he's like, I'm okay, and they all start cheering, and everyone's having a good time, but as everything is happening around them, we focus in on uh, our, two our two main characters. PTA did this with Punch Drunk Love in that sequence where they meet each other in Hawaii. You know, everybody's walking around behind them, but what matters is the moment between these two characters as the world passes them by. Same thing here. And then we get... They are sitting, just reading the paper together. The TV's on. They're at, like, a diner or something. And they're talking about, like, this oil embargo. And she's like, do you know what that means? She's like, the waterbeds are made out of oil. She's, like, telling him, like, we're in trouble. And I think this is the this is one of the moments that start the catalyst for Elena, trying Elena to being up. like, I, I, Elena saying, I think Gary is too immature. No, I think the catalyst for that too is. But this is, I think, this is what kickstarts. Yeah. So it. they do like one last delivery, and it's to this absolute crazy guy. Oh right, yeah. Who we is talk a real about freaking person? We have to talk about him. Um, Bradley Cooper is in this movie and plays. He plays a um, Hollywood producer by the name of John Peters. John Peters is an actual dude. Uh, if you don't know about John Peters, I'd uh, give him a little bit of a Google. He started off as Barbara, si Barbara Streisand's hairdresser and then went into producing movies. Kevin Smith goes into, uh, he, he did a Q&A at one point years ago that kind of went viral in recent years about how he was commissioned by Warner Brothers at one point to write a Superman script, Superman Lives. And one of the things that he had to do was clear all of his ideas by the producer of the movie, John Peters. And Kevin Smith goes on in the story. And if you have not listened to the story, I would give it a quick YouTube. It's about 20 minutes long, but it's hilarious because Kevin Smith's an awesome storyteller. And the way Kevin Smith describes it in, in a nutshell is he had to go to John Peter's house and pitch him the idea first. And then he had to go to John Peter's house again and read him the script to which Kevin Smith said, well, you want me to tuck him in too? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, he talks about John Peters and he's like, he's like, I never got to do Superman lives, but I got to hang out with this crazy guy for a couple months. And he's like, I got stories to tell about him now. Um, John Peters apparently had a couple requests about Superman. He said, I don't want to see him in that blue and red suit. Um, he said it looks, uh, it, it makes Superman look like uh, uh, expletive for uh, a gay person. Um, and then he said, I don't want to see Superman fly. And he said, um, I want Superman to fight a giant spider. So Kevin Smith's like, all right, all right, I think I can do this. And he writes the script for Superman Lives, which isn't half bad. Um, and he's got everything in it. And, and John Peters apparently told him at one point, He's like, uh, he's like, you, you want to know why you and me are going to do well on Superman together? He's like, because we're from the streets and we know Superman. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, what kind of answer is that? And then um, he tells the story of how they were like initially thinking about casting for Superman. And Kevin Smith said, like, who do, who do you see playing Superman? And John Peter said, Sean Penn. 
interestingly enough, Sean Penn's in Licorice Pizza too. Um, he said Sean Penn, and Kevin Smith's like, "Why Sean Penn?" He's like, "You look into Sean Penn's eyes. He's got the eyes of a fucking killer." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, because that's exactly what you want out of Superman—the <laughs> eyes of a killer. So John Peters is an interesting cat. Um, Kevin Smith goes on in that story to talk about how he wanted the giant spider real bad, and when Superman Lives didn't pan out. He's like, I went to the movies and I saw this uh, flick called The Wild Wild West with Will Smith. And he's like, I'm sitting in a movie and before I know it, a, like a giant spider appears. And John Peters produced that movie too. So like that guy really wanted his giant spider. And I, there's at one point, like Bradley Cooper plays John Peters and he says something about being a fucking killer or like the eyes of a killer. And I was like, I looked at Brie, I was like, I have to think that Paul Thomas Anderson like watched that clip of Kevin Smith talking about John Peters and wrote it like wrote John Peters like that. So we have them going to give the way their last waterbed. Like this is their last delivery. They deliver it to this absolute crazy guy who's a real person. John Peters. Yes. Um, and there's Who, Bradley Cooper. I love and, it got and it's it, important to love know Bradley they're Cooper. in the middle of this like oil and gas crisis. It's an oil embargo. It's in the 70s oil crisis. Um, it, it, the kind of they're the Nixon through the Carter eras of of American history. So they go, they did. Um, the crazy guy, say his name again. John Peters. John Peters threatens to kill. Produce Batman. Tim Burton's Batman. Um, threatened to kill. Gary's brother if well, he messed up his house. He's like, I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to leave you guys Streisand, here. And, it, and if you ruin every anything, I'm going to kill this kid. And so they're filling up the waterbed. But the way then, Gary responds to him, too, is like, I don't want to keep you from your movie. And he's like, <laughs> stop being a fucking smart ass. <laughs> it's like you're cocky. And then, so they fill up the waterbed and then Gary kind of just like leaves the hose going well, yeah in the they're, they're filling it up and, and he's he, like i fucking hate that guy he looked he looked at elena and then he just unplugged the hose and like let's get out of here <laughs> because like the business is done yeah like they're out of business so who cares if they finish this job and this is such an intense sequence of the movie Where they're like they're they hop in the car they're going and as they're going they run into john peters john peters who and ran he, out of gas who ran out of gas so they had to take him back to his house so he could grab the gas can hoping like he doesn't find out they've messed with his house and they drive back to his car past his car to the gas station and he goes absolutely crazy at the gas station and they drive away and then they drive to his car and then gary smashes the crud out of his windshield and then they run and out Elena's of gas like what the hell are you doing yes and they run out of gas they run out of gas and so elena has to do like this insane fast and the furious downhill driving this truck backwards she does a fantastic job but after this like near-death experience the boys well, the boys go she's sitting on the curb the boys go to get gas cans and in the back you see their silhouettes against the sky and they're doing like sexual like motions with the gas so cans. okay let's break down because they thought it was really cool yeah and she recognizes that was fucking we almost dangerous fucking died. we almost died and, and she being the mature person got them out of that bad situation but the boys didn't understand or realize how much danger they were in exactly and i think that this this is 
the catalyst that Elena has where like this is the moment where she is like these people are way too immature for me like I can't I can't be around them anymore like I'm too old for this shit and I think that this is like the way that that sequence breaks down in terms of why I think this was maybe the best part of the movie, the quietness of everybody. And I pointed that out to you as we were watching. I'm like, nobody wants to speak in this scene because Elena wants to keep her focus. But Gary is also like, if I say one thing, this could be bad. And it was, it made it such an intense sequence that I was like, we're watching the Fast and the Furious, right? Cast the Himes in the Fast and the Furious, please. Like, get the Himes in there. And I thought that this is the moment where Elena wakes up. And she sees, like, a Even poster for a, like, the mayoral, mayoral candidate. Camp. And she calls up her friend who works for the mayoral candidate. And she goes to work as a volunteer and she becomes tr she tries so hard to mature herself so she is so where for the entire movie we've had this kind of back and forth between gary and elena and this kind of conflict that each character is having of gary wants to be older than he is and elena kind of is struggling with adulthood and maturity now we see them kind of level the playing field between each other at this point like Gary shows his true self in that situation by being an immature 15-year-old boy, whereas Elena is now kind of being real with herself and saying, I'm going to I got to grow up. She's like, I'm I got to grow up and we get like she's volunteering for this mayoral candidate. She still calls in her like young friends to like hustle. They're doing like uh the can the recording and everything for this and um whatnot and the biggest blowout we have is oh, gary's there when he's interviewing the mayor when she's interviewing the mayoral candidate and that's when the pinball thing drops and it's like an insider information he hears they, that they overhear the mayoral candidate saying that pinball is pinball's going to be legal again and so which he, i don't know the history about that why pinball was illegal in i don't California know either but he calls up someone and she overhears him talking about it and she's like you gotta grow up like you can't be doing this blah blah, blah. really pinball and he's like i need gonna i need a ride there and she's like i'm not gonna drive you and then they get into like a tough tussle kind of like like a argument and then she's like i'm gonna drive you I, but I he wrote, like won't let her drive him because he's over it and he's took the keys he's like i'm gonna drive myself and she, he's going to the car and she's like if you get in that car and you leave i'm done i'm not gonna ever talk to you again i think and that she kind of follows through a little bit until the very end yeah i wrote down a line that she says and it kind of does show both of these characters immaturity where she's like you're a kid and i'm a fucking politician she's not a politician but she says you're um uncool i'm cool yeah, yeah. like she's mad at him because he calls her old and i get that's like the biggest like insult to her is being called old yeah and i think that like there's moments where in the film i don't know what i was gonna say <laughs> i lost my train of thought um i think there are moments 
in in the film where this is where like when PTA says Elena Himes acting is very natural it's lines like that or kind of like throwaway lines she's like you're uncool I'm a fucking politician and it's throwaway lines like when she's arguing with her sisters at the beginning of the movie and she's like you're always thinking you're a thinker it's like stop being a thinker and then she just goes and fuck you Danielle <laughs> <laughs> like it's just so natural the way that the, these pieces of dialogue come out and that was a moment at the at the that falling out period where the that these characters have where I thought that was very like genuine and natural. Um, she can't. They she's doing a good job. Elena's doing a good job. She's like, she's go, she's actually doing well in her role, right? She's enjoying what she does. Um, and but even but she's kind of immature, even when she's making those phone calls for the councilman because she's making the phone calls and she's trying her best and then when people hung up hang up on her she's like oh yeah and fuck you too and she does that like three different times <laughs> um so we get to a point where the council like the mayoral candidate calls her and it's like will you come meet me for a drink and i think she believed that he was asking her out mm -hmm. she gets there he's already there with somebody else a man and we find out that this the man is gay and this is his boyfriend. And she was called to pretend to be his boyfriend's girlfriend and get him out of there. Because people are following him trying to get dirt on him. Yeah. So Elena, she, she, she does it. Alana does it. She takes the guy home. And he's like, you're a really good person. He says, like, says to her. And like, he appreciates her and everything. And they talk about how men are shits. And, <laughs> they say that yeah. almost exactly. <laughs> and I turned to Anthony. I'm like, hey, you are a shit. And um, of of course, her sisters had called her and told her about like the opening of Gary's like thing. And pinball she's like, arcade. Pinball arcade. And she's like, I can't go. I have work. And so at the same time that she's going into this dinner, um, Gary asks the other Heim, the other Heim sisters, where is where is she? And he's like, well, she's. You know where she works, like go get her. Go get her, and he and goes. Everybody runs. He goes to her work, and she's not there. And she goes to the pinball arcade, and he's not there. And they kind of have the sequence where they're like running around, like looking for each other. Mm -hmm. Where and then they finally they're both walking, and they see each other. And then there's like this run at the end where you get that montage of the running why sequences. Why we've they Paul Thomas Anderson basically tells you why he's been filming them running the entire movie to and lead up to this. They go back to the pinball arcade, and he's like, "Attention, everyone! I want you to meet Mrs. Valentine." And that's kind of like, and she's like, "I'll shut up" or something like that. Yeah. And that's where we and they kiss, and like that's where we end. So I want to point out here that. I, I, one, one of my major criticisms of this movie is the ending where I don't think that they should have kissed. No, I, think I don't, it, I, I think, think that was a poor decision I to make them of, kiss. I, I would have rather them kept the relationship platonic for this, for the sake of it being appropriate. And also because I just think that that's where the characters would have gone but the more i think about it the more i and 
I like that I can I I'm taking this last Paul Thomas Anderson movie and I'm drawing back on the films we've already reviewed. Like we've already drawn back to Punch Drunk Love. We've already drawn back to Magnolia. I'm going to draw back to Boogie Nights a little bit. Remember how we talked about in Boogie Nights that like uh, Dirk Diggler and Roller Girl, as soon as they try to do something that's outside of the world of, of the real world or outside of their fantasy world that they live in, they fail horribly and then retreat back to... I feel like every relationship they have outside of each other fails horribly and then they and then retreat they, back well, to it's each not, other. It's not only the relationships that they have with other people, it's the idea of maturity and immaturity and growing up. When Elena tries to do something, finally tries to sit down and do something that is drawing her into the adult world... And she finds out that she's basically being played by this congressperson or she's being used by this congressperson. And she realizes that the adult world isn't sunshine and rainbows. Like, it's not something that you want to be in. She immediately retreats back to Gary, who is this this kind of idea for her of going back to the world of being immature and being a child when she asks her sister do you think it's weird that i hang out with 15 year olds all the time the sister said like no but she's like i think it's weird and but and elena's like i do think it's weird we have to question what draws her into the world of being immature is it because she is in herself struggling to be an adult or is it because the adult world chews her up and spits her back out i think it's that yeah i think every time she tries to do something she fails at it and then she's like well f this and now i'm gonna go back to where i'm comfortable which is being immature in in this world of teenage years gary on the other hand keeps kind of failing at being an adult right where he keeps starting businesses and trying to pursue acting and trying to pursue this waterbed business. And he keeps getting like chewed up and spit out. The adult world isn't working for him. But I also feel like he doesn't really care. Because I think he's just going to be on to the next best yeah. thing in the next few months. Where I had to question this. He starts up businesses like off like willy nilly on the fly. And he has like a whole like building rented out for this pinball arcade like where is he getting this money to rent out this space no idea it's interesting but i do think that it's elena kind of retreating from the adult world she realizes it's not working for her even though she's tried and she goes back to gary because that is the embodiment of being immature to her or refusing to accept responsibility for being mature Mm -hmm. so that makes me appreciate the ending however the way that i think the characters run they should i don't know if they should have kissed me either (coughs) sorry um and i do want to point out another criticism that i have of this movie which i did point out to you brie after we watched it which was i don't necessarily think any of our characters develop too much Usually, like, in a movie, we have a character that starts out one way and through the course of events in the movie, they change and they become different throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, PTA does this with Punch Drunk Love, where 
by at the beginning of the movie, Barry Egan is a completely different character than he is at the end of the movie through his relationship with Lena. In this movie, we begin with uh, Gary being a charismatic hustler who wants to be older than he already is. We end the movie with Gary being a charismatic hustler who wants to be older than he already is. Elena goes through somewhat of a change. She starts to show the foundations of a change in character, but ultimately ends up retreating back to, to what's, comfortable. what's comfortable to her. To which that makes me think about Paul Thomas Anderson and what he conveys in his movies, because that's kind of the same thing that happens in Boogie Nights, like we said. So I don't know. I guess there's a lot to reflect on and think about with that and Paul Thomas Anderson, the way he writes his characters. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Also, I didn't quite like the last... Paul Thomas Anderson does a great job at like knocking it out of the park with final shots. Uh, Punch Drunk Love, our final shot is Lena uh, hugging Barry and them kind of embracing. Magnolia, the final shot is of... Um, God, I can't remember her name. The one... John C. Riley's love interest. And she smiles at the camera. It's a great final shot. Boogie Nights, the final shot being Dirk Diggler's schlong. <laughs> great final shot, right? Like, we finally got to see it. This one, I think... It was a little sloppy for Paul Thomas Anderson. Where, I mean, I was fine with it. Like, the final shot was her saying, I love you. But... The final shot should have been the end of that kiss. That would have been a nice like bookend to the movie. Not that it's terrible. And I'm being nitpicky. You're, you're being picky. I'm being picky. I'm being nitpicky. And I know Paul Thomas Anderson is never going to listen to this. But if he does, I love you and you're great. However. Um, you're on thin ice oh, with me. Oh, you're on thin. After the Phantom Thread, which won a bunch of awards. And I probably should watch it. But it just looks so boring to me. I do have to watch Inherent Vice, though. Uh but I have to say, yeah, I, this has been my favorite. It's one that I would watch again. Whereas, I would watch it again. Whereas the rest of them, I would not. You would have to tie me up. One of the things that I mentioned to Brie, too, that I wanted to bring up here is, you know, sometimes directors just like really, really love working with a certain actor and putting them in the frame of a camera. Like there's the auteur directors that just say like, you could tell that they really love shooting certain actors. Um, um, Tim Burton's like that with Johnny Depp. He loves Johnny Depp. He, he loves shooting Johnny Depp. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson's like that with Elena Heim. Because there are so many close-up shots of Elena Heim's face framed in the middle of the shot. And I, I thought about it and I was like, I don't know what it is, but I think Paul Thomas Anderson really, really loves to shoot elena heim on camera like there's probably that notion and i'm not you know i don't know this for sure but it just seemed like it where pta was probably just in love with the way she was framed in the shots you know and it doesn't mean that like oh he has a crush on her or no something. it just means it she just looks, means like she looks interesting she looked like he probably looked at it and said, like, there's value to this art that we're making right now. And it looks really, really good in his eyes. Um, so I'm eager to see, like, if she shows up in a future Paul Thomas Because I feel like movie. once you appear in one of his movies, like, you'll... 
I think I think she's I think one. she's going to be one of those actresses for him where he just really loves to shoot her and uh, pew pew sorry not that kind of shoot um, he just really loves to put her in frame and I don't think he's going to pass up on the opportunity to do that in the future and I think that um, Cooper Hoffman has a very bright future I think that he's going to be you know somebody to watch out for in the future yeah only 19 years old only 19 years old god he looks like his dad oh yeah he's gonna he have, looks like philip seymour he's Hoffman. gonna have daddy's hairline god oh i said i thought the same thing and you brought it up uh, when we were watching the movie and i was like yes he is going to have philip seymour hoffman's hairline they talk like each other if you did you like notice that at all like he talks like philip seymour hoffman and i wonder if that was maybe a directorial choice by pta or not i don't know but like the performances are so good in this movie and the the movie is shot beautifully framed beautifully like hands uh put our hands together for the cinematography in this movie and um when we say like we uh, i'm going to bookend our podcast with something that i brought up in the beginning which is every frame of painting that phrase every frame of painting is talking about framing a shot as if it's a painting can you take this shot and can you you know print it out and make it look as if it's a painting that you can hang in your in your bedroom or in your uh, living room when we have really good looking pieces of film when you have something that looks really genuine and something that is framed and composed so beautifully that makes a world of difference in a movie that can otherwise be like mediocre, right? Like that sets it above everything else. So what did, what did you appreciate like about this movie? Cause I know we were talking about a lot of criticisms. I mean, I appreciated like the Himes. I thought like, yeah, the Himes are great. They, they did a good job in this movie, especially as like Heim is one of the bands where like, I've never seen them before, but I've always like, ever since I was in high school, I've always like wanted to see Heim. I thought I I liked this movie. I th I think the reason I did like this movie was it was a younger cast. Because I know that was your complaint with like Punch Drunk Love. I'm like I can't get into it because it's a love older. story with old people, and this one it was a creepy love story, and I didn't want it to be a love story. But I was just so enamored by like them being young and like it being about like the struggle of becoming an adult. And like grappling with adulthood. So I, I connected with that. I think it's tough for me to connect with the movie because a lot of like Elena, her character is like, I'm an adult, but I'm directionless. And I think for me, it was a little bit different because I knew like I wanted to be a teacher. And like I kind of had that, you know, when you when you get your degree in education, you have your career. That's what that, you're That's do. what you're doing. Rather than like if you get your degree in like a, bi a business field, you can do so many things with that, right? Like it, it, it's not a specific direction. So I guess like I didn't connect too much with Elena's character of not wanting to grow up or like having struggles with being an adult because I just kind of already had that. I, mean, I was more, I, guess I, would, I, I, I would be more it. of Gary's character where it's I, like, I wanted to grow up too fast when I was in high but school. But I kind of guess like I understand her character because I feel like a lot of what I struggle with when being an adult is like, I'm always looking for the bigger adult. Like I don't feel adult enough. 
I don't like. I've, I've, I've told my students that before. I was like, syndrome. you will never feel like you're an adult. You'll never feel like you're an adult. I am 26 years old. I don't can think like, okay, I'll put it this way. When I walk outside of our house, we're the youngest people on this block that own house. Right. And I feel uncomfortable because it's like, I, I feel like they think I'm a teenager. Exactly. Who lives here. That's how I feel too. Like when I go get the mail or something, it's like, I feel like if you didn't know that you, if you didn't know that we are engaged and we own this house, you would think that we, our parents lived here and Anthony and I were siblings and we were just <laughs> teenage siblings because I feel like I don't look adult enough. Uh-huh. I feel the same way, but I think here, here's what I, I appreciate a lot about this movie is the performances. I appreciate the cinematography and I truly, truly appreciate the screenwriting in this movie because everything just seems so natural when all those things are combined together you got a beautiful movie you got it, one that brings life it was a good movie so i have to ask you anthony does this movie make your list no but i'm gonna give it an honorable mention i think i'm also going to give it an honorable mention it does not make my list because you know we just it didn't knock my socks off but i thought it was good i didn't watch this and say oh my god it's but so I think good people should watch it, it should yeah. get an honorable mention it's it's a good movie i mean there are, there are movies that i've watched that i was like holy shit this is so good knocked my socks off uh, off the top of my head 1917 was a movie that like we saw in theaters and, and i was it like knocked my socks holy off it was moly. really good um this movie like i acknowledge a lot of the really, really good things about this movie. I acknowledge the cinematography, the acting, the writing, the I, the notion that this movie has a pulse, mm -hmm. that it's fun and it has life to it. And I think that everybody who made the movie really enjoyed making the movie. At least that's what it seemed like. I acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And I think all of those things combined make this movie really, really good and like, worthwhile you yeah, know i would agree do you think it stands the test of time no no i just because i mean the if the joke didn't land now oh that's a good point it's not gonna land <laughs> 20 years from now yeah i i made i don't know maybe this is an unfair or unjust criticism of the movie i said this movie kind of feels like somebody who was 15 years old in the 70s can look back at it as a nostalgia trip and say i remember that i remember when you know herman munster was at the teenage con i remember when the police could just you know do their jobs and arrest you and didn't have to go through those pesky miranda rights i remember when um you can do a japanese accent and not get in trouble for it i feel like it's like that notion of like old people are going to watch this movie and say don't you remember the good old times when the police can just arrest you? <laughs> Things like that. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's an unfair, an unfair thing and probably not what was intended of Paul Thomas Anderson. But I do feel like people might, old, older generations might walk away from this movie with a sense of nostalgia for the wrong things. You know what I mean? Yes, I would agree. Yeah. Um, cool. Anything else you want to add? No, I'm good. Did this movie win any awards? I, have I know no it was idea. nominated for a bunch. Let me Google it real quick. Bree, keep our audience. Um, uh, I am currently looking at a picture of a duck. What's um, the duck doing? The duck is hanging out. Um, 
being a duck. I think ducks are super cute. Yesterday, I was just um, driving to the store, and I had to wait for this geese family to walk across the street, and it was super cute. And I was like, oh my gosh, two adult geese with their four baby geeselings, or no, they're goslings, like Ryan Gosling, who's going to play Ken in an upcoming movie about oh, Barbie and Ken. Oh, did you see like what everybody was saying on Twitter about that? I just saw the picture. That he looks like Orange Cassidy from AEW. I did not hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's like you ripped off Orange Cassidy because he's wearing like the jean jacket <laughs> and the jeans and he's got like the hairstyle and the aviators. So I thought, oh, that was an interesting look i was like i don't know if i would cast ryan goth i don't think when i think of ken i think of like <sighs> it's hard to even like put into i think words. ryan gosling's like a good choice i would have gone with like um what's his like a zach efron oh i don't think he would have done it uh like a bleach blonde i don't think zach Ze- i don't think zephron would have done it uh he would have been good though um okay so back to what we were talking about um, I'm sticking with Golden Globes and Academy Awards because it did win and was nominated for a ton of stuff. Um, Golden Globes was nominated for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, Best Actor for Cooper Hoffman, uh, Motion Picture, or com- uh, Musical, or Comedy. Elena Heim was nominated for Best Actress, Motion Picture, mu- Comedy, or Musical. And Paul Thomas Anderson was nominated for Best Screenplay, but it did not win any of those awards. Um, Academy Awards earlier this year. Uh, did not win any Academy Awards, but was nominated for uh, three of them, including Best Original Screenplay, Paul Thomas Anderson, Best Director, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Best Picture. Got a Best Picture nod as well. Um, so that's it, Brie. I think that's it, unless you have anything else to add about licorice no, pizza. Um, what I'd like to add is you can always follow us on our social medias. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, we are wrapping up Paul Thomas Anderson with a little bow as we've kind of made reference back to his previous movies. Uh, a nice little cap on Paul Thomas Anderson. While this isn't uh, the last, hopefully isn't the last PTA movie to come out, this is the last one we'll be reviewing on the podcast for quite a while. Um, so thank you, Paul Thomas Anderson, for supplying us with endless amounts, endless hours of what it seems like, because these movies are so long. Oh, yeah. Um, so hours of entertainment. We're going to wrap up our Drive-Your Series with next week with, we have our last Tim Burton movie, Frankenweenie. Frankenweenie. And it's an animated movie, so we're ready for it. Oh, yeah. 90-minute animated movie. Yeah. Let's go. Um, so follow us on our social media. You can always follow us on Instagram at review underscore pod. You can email us at review, review podcast one, one at gmail.com. Gmail. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at GLDTV1. And you can find me selling waterbeds. In, no, the inside <laughs> of a waterbed. Like, you know, you like Freddy Krueger. Like that. Fred, yeah. Freddy Krueger style. And. <laughs> Protruding I'm, outwards per, like rubber? Protruding outward. And you have to stab the waterbed and out I will be birthed. Like a baby. Like a baby. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Sick. Sick. <laughs> so uh, follow us there. Always find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Anywhere where you can get your podcast. Rate us the five stars. And come back next week as we review Frank and Weenie. Frank and Weenie and end our director series. After that, we, we begin our... No, we get into Jurassic Park Dominions. We'll do Jurassic Park Dominion. And then after that, we get into our actor series where we will be following the work of Adam Sandler and Meryl Streep. 
So come on down next week. Thank you for joining us. This is the Review Podcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Bree. And that's that. See you next week. Review Podcast. Yeah.